G'day everyone. Welcome to Garden Guy Dale K's Big Backyard. I'm your host, Dale K, coming to you from the Minneapolis St. Paul area, Minnesota, the United States. And I somewhat chuckle to myself sometimes about how passionate this area is about waiting for spring, or the upper Midwest in general is about waiting for spring. And I chuckle because it's about mid-March here, right? And we are very much still snowed in here. Uh, there's probably a foot and a half of snow in my backyard, and it's just going to start to thaw up next week. We've got some temperatures in the mid-40s, a little bit of rain that'll help um, get rid of the snow as well. But where I'm originally from, and I've been here 25, 30 years, but where I'm originally from, Adelaide, Australia, such a temperate Mediterranean climate, it's a year-round growing season. I talk to my dad every Sunday night, and he always takes me on a little tour of his, his garden. He's got a, a three-in-one kind of citrus tree that he's quite proud of. A three-in-one, it's got three grafts basically on a rootstock. So he's got a lime, a lemon, and I think it, I think it's an orange on the other one. Uh, on the other the on the other graft anyway so he's always taking me a, a tour of his backyard we go look at the lemon tree or the citrus tree it needs a prune and his tomato plants his herbs and and so forth but this you know this is a continual you know garden tour where here in the upper midwest she's still pretty bleak outside but that that darkness of winter the the bleakness of winter really does stir up um, a great um, anticipation for spring. And I would say people, uh, the gardening public in general in the upper Midwest or where there's extremes of climate is a lot more into gardening in that spring fever than say the folks that are down in Adelaide, Australia, because they're, they're just kind of, they're kind of used to it. It's, it's a pretty much everyday thing, but I, I'm really quite blessed. And sometimes, you know, I chuckle when you think that well, I'm in this industry, but it's it's an industry that's almost idle for six months because of weather. But that idleness has really gotten a lot less over the last few years. There's so much more interest in gardening in general. And the the anticipation for spring and that spring fever really does propel people outside and into their gardens. So I, I kind of chuckle in a good way now about living here in the upper Midwest versus maybe being back down in uh, beautiful, sunny uh, South Australia, but always a nice place to go go visit and catch up with, with family. So this week on the podcast, uh, if you remember last week or if you were tuning in for last week or if you didn't tune in, don't worry, I'll give you a quick re recap. We started to get into some of the basics of of what you oh, some of the basic elements of gardening is when it comes to light exposure and and fertilizer and watering and all those and all those sorts of things. So if you didn't catch that, go back to the last um, podcast because it's some it's some great uh, information there. But I kind of stopped and paused on fertilizer because I think standing in in the fertilizer aisle at your favorite local garden shop or maybe your farm store. Um, you, you're real, you're literally faced with an amazing array of fertilizer options, and not only that, it's sometimes hard to know what your what plants or what you're buying, what kind of nutritional requirements they need. But I mentioned last week that um, plants are very much like like we are. 
we can go, uh, you know, we can't go too long without oxygen or air. Plants are kind of the same. Um, plants can't go very long without water. We're very much the same that way. And when it comes to nutrition and food, well, we can go a little ways without, you know, we can skip a meal here or there or, or go quite a ways without food. And so can plants to some respect. But eventually, plants like us need nutrition. So fertilizing is becomes very important. And it's one of the things that I noticed that people probably bypass or maybe um, do less of than some of the other, you know, of course, watering. Everybody's really in tune with watering because a plant lets you know almost right away if it's suffering from either over hydration or, you know, uh, you know, under or over watering. So a plant really lets you know that quick. Whereas lack of nutrition tends to, the, the symptoms of lack of nutrition tend to be a lot slower and um, a lot more subtle to the eye. But don't underestimate the power of fertilizing and really the benefits that you gain out of uh, not only great soil, but also great nutrition on plants. So I thought we'd take a little bit more of a look at fertilizer and nutrition when it comes to plants this week on the podcast. So if you have a gardening question, it might be a fertilizing a fertilizer question. It might be just a general gardening question. Um, drop me a line on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy. And right there, if you leave me a message, we'll, we'll get the questions or your questions out on the podcast. Create a little forum, um, create some interest, create a, a little big backyard community of questions and we can solve each other's problems and we can do that right here once a week. So on Instagram, DLK Garden Guy, leave me a message there and we'll get your questions answered. So I mentioned it's, it can be a little uh, intimidating in the fertilizer aisle. There's so many, there's so many. There's, there's um, soluble fertilizers, there's solid fertilizers. Pretty much they can all be grouped into three major categories. One is um, a soluble fertilizer that you can mix, usually is mixed or is mixed with water um, to the ratio that's um, listed on the package. And then you go ahead and water your plants that way. Many of them are a foliar fertilizer as well, which means you can kind of splash that fertilizer around on the leaves and the plants will take in the, the, the nutrients that way. The other one is um, a slow release or I think the... The correct term now is controlled release because some of the, the coatings and the polymers that are surrounding the, the nutrients are, are so advanced that it's more of a controlled release. They're those usually those little pearls that you put on. It'll say like feeds four months. It'll They'll say feeds four to six months, something along those lines. And that's, uh, that's the other group of, of main fertilizer. And then the other one uh, typically that you'll see in garden shops is just, just a straight up granular fertilizer or a granular fertilizer that's been molded into like a stake, you know, or like a, a you know, a cylinder that you would push into the soil. And those particular fertilizers aren't encapsulated in any type of coating. They're not soluble, but they are kind of like an in-between as far as uh, nutrition being available for the for um, the plants and the roots and to take up that nutrition. So there's they're basically uh, 
you know, three major categories. And then within those categories, there's those numbers that will say like NPK. And that's the that's the macro. That's the macro fertilizers that um, or the, um, elements that all plants kind of need to 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 grow. They'll they'll use those. And then there's also micronutrients, um, you know, magnesium, all, all the smaller types of uh, elements that plants will benefit from as well. But what's labeled uh, very predominantly on any of those fertilizer labels is the NPK, and that's simply nitrogen is the N, phosphorus is the P, potassium is the K. Now, nitrogen is largely responsible for growth of leaves um, on the plant, helps produce uh, leafy growth. The P or the phosphorus, that, that element is largely responsible for root growth, um, there's a, all the flowers, the, uh, the, uh, the flower and fruit production, all that kind of development will benefit from phosphorus. And then the last one, K, is potassium, and that's the, the, that nutrient helps overall functions of the plant so it performs correctly. So knowing, um, knowing that MPK value is appropriate for, um, so if you're growing like leafy vegetables, you know that's a lot of leaf production. You want something that's um, fairly balanced or maybe a little bit higher in nitrogen. If you're doing, uh, and that'll of course uh, promote leafy growth, uh, leafy growth. Um, phosphorus will encourage more blooms. So if you're growing flowers, gabbara daisies, geraniums, all those sorts of things. So you can start to tailor your, your, fer- your fertilizers around the plants that you're growing. Now, the fertilizer numbers can be used to calculate also how much fertilizer each plant needs. So, and that's equal to one pound. So if you've got something that's, say, like a 10-10-10 fertilizer, and just to be, just to kind of cut to the chase, if you're really ever confused about what kind of fertilizer to buy, I always just recommend pick something that's balanced. That way, you that would be like a 10 10 10 a 20 20 20 you'll usually find it as a as a 10 10 10 but basically you can divide 100 by 10 and this will tell you that you need about 10 pounds or about 4.5 kilograms of that fertilizer to add one pound of that nutrient to the soil so there's a simple math calculation there you don't have to get too tied up with you know doing those calculations for you on the directions on the fertilizer box, it will usually give you some guidelines or some recommendations for either side dressing or mixing into the soil. Initially, um, side dressing is something that you would do if you're in a uh, growing in containers or maybe like a mid-season fertilizing. We call it side dressing where you go down the rows or sprinkle a little bit around the plants themselves for some additional nutrition. And that's the probably the other kind of key takeaway is a lot of times fertilizer isn't one and done. Um, sometimes coming back in mid-season or through mid-season with some additional fertilizer really helps your plants perform longer and better and more vibrant, particularly when it comes to flower production. So um Basically, you've got your macronutrients, that's your NPK, and then you've got all your micronutrients and trace uh, trace elements that go into fertilizer, and you can go ahead and study your particular favorite type of fertilizer. So you might ask me, Dale, what, what are your favorite types of fertilizer? I think I mentioned I'll give you what, what I do 
Uh, I'll share with you what I do. I give you. I'll share with you what I do in my garden. But the first, I think we've got to take one more step back, I guess, and talk a little bit about compost, and then a little bit maybe about soil testing. And I want don't want to get too hung up on soil tests, but it is a good idea every couple of years to take a soil test. Um, or if you are, say you just bought a home or you're new to gardening and you want to know, you know, you're in a new landscape, you may want to know what's what uh, fertility your soil has. So I think that's where um, a soil test comes into play. There's lots of different types of soil tests um, available, but I guess at the very basic beginnings, a soil test is always a good idea. You don't have to do it every year, but maybe once every couple of years, or like I said, if you're moving into a new a new landscape site. There is a company called Lusterleaf, and you'll find these uh, little home do-it-yourself home kits um, at your favorite local garden shop. Some of them are like an instant read. You kind of uh, put a probe into into the soil and it, give, and it gives you back a, a fairly instant read. There's others that have like little capsules that you would um, add to your soil sample and that would give you a, a range of fertility in your soil. The one I like to, to, to do the most is um, there is, and you can go online and I'll leave this in the description of the podcast as well. Uh, it's basically soil soilkit.com so www.soilkit.com and you can um, get a hold of those folks Um, you basically take your soil sample and soil samples there is a you just don't take a little bit on the top you do kind of a sample range at at different depths um, for collecting a soil sample but basically you register your soil uh, you register your kit you basically collect your sample um, in that in that root zone range that you want your plants to grow, you mail it in. They do the test and they give you results back on your your smartphone or your tablet or so forth. So that's not a, and that's actually a very good um, test kit. They do cover a lot of um, different facets of soil fertility, and they the best thing is the the readings that they give you back or the recommendations they give you back. You don't need an advanced science degree to to understand what you need, and then you can take that information to your to your favorite local garden shop or f- or feed store, or where you, wherever you buy fertilizer, and even show them, and they'll they'll help you get the fertility that you need for your plants. So soil test is is a great idea. The next thing that we want to pay probably a good amount of attention to is take make use of garden gold and that's really composting at home it's a great sustainable thing that you can do just in your little own neck of the woods which is really really good to do but all your veggie scraps and i I mentioned um last week in the podcast my my grandfather he just dug holes underneath his lemon tree and just kind of moved around this compost all the kitchen scraps would go in there they didn't waste a thing they came from the uh, my grandparents came obviously uh, or lived through the depression years so nothing got wasted and all the compost and scraps and and eggshells all went into a hole and this was done uh, routinely all around this all around the backyard lemon tree and my grandfather had the largest the largest lemon tree that I've ever seen it was probably 40 45 feet tall and lemons aren't supposed to grow 
that tall. And he would always joke, and my nana would always joke that it's because of all these years of of composting around this tree. Now, um, I don't I don't think compost itself um, made that tree grow forty five feet tall, but but just maybe, just maybe it did. But it was quite it was quite the specimen of of, of a lemon tree. So composting at home, super easy. Go ahead and dig a hole and just kind of do it that way. There's compost bins, there's rotating compost bins, there's compost accelerators that you can use to heat up your compost. There's, um, temperature pros. There's there's all sorts of things that you can really, um, uh, get into as far as composting, but it's super, super simple. And it is really garden gold for your soil. It adds a lot of structure um, to to soils, and really is probably fundamentally uh, the best place to start for soil fertility. Um, and it's something that you can do at home. It's making your backyard a little bit more sustainable. What goes into compost? Really, really easy. Um, weeds, any weeds that haven't gone to seed, they go in any grass clippings. So grass clippings, I think they're actually better just left on your lawn, get one of those mulching mowers. But if you're bagging them, if you're bagging your your clippings, make sure that goes into your compost. Any leaves that can, or they go into your compost, any type of uh, veggie scraps, they go into your, into your pile. And then any old potting soil, when you're discarding potting soil or, or anything like that, that can go into your compost as well. What, what doesn't go into your compost, and this is probably more, more important or a little bit more relevant, what doesn't go in, pet waste, any type of pet waste doesn't go in, meat scraps, that's a no-no, you don't want, um, you don't want critters and stuff and other things digging up your, your compost pile. Um, weeds in seed. And then anything that's diseased, got a fungus, got a mildew, anything like that, um, don't put that in your compost either. So compost is a great soil amendment. And then what what you do from there is basically tailor your fertilizing needs to your what you're growing, flowers or veggies, things like that. So here's what I do. Um, take it or leave it, but I have a pretty nice garden. I've been at it for a, a long time. And what I do is I initially, and I, I do this for my veggie garden. I, can, I even do this in the fall. I start to re-add in once I've harvested and everything's out of the out of the garden. And remember, we're here in the upper Midwest where everything comes out, right? Or everything, you know, you clean up for the season. But when I've cleaned up, I put fertilizer back in. That way I get a little bit of a jump start on the spring gardening process. And I'm mixing in my compost and I'm mixing in some sort of feather meal type uh, granular fertilizer. And that um, there's a couple of things, a couple of brands you can look out for. I'm quite partial to the one that's uh, that's manufactured locally here in uh, Cannon Falls, Minnesota. It's called Sustain, great fertilizer, relatively low analysis, but just what it's derived from, that, that feather meal, um, is fantastic for really any type of gardening. So that goes in um, along uh, along with anything solid and organic, like a, some sort of a manure, a cow manure, um, sheep manure, horse manure, any, anything that's well composted, that goes into my vegetable garden. Then what I'll do is when I plant... Uh, the soil's all ready to go, 
And then what I'll do is I'll come through about mid-season and do some side dressing with something that's solid and organic again, whether it's the Sustain, um, something along those lines. And that's what I do in the veggie garden. Now for flowers and all my container gardens, I, I do something a little bit different. What I do is I do take a really good quality potting soil. Um, and use use that of course and what I do is I add in just a, a pinch of well, it's more than a pinch it's probably a couple of cups or thereabouts but you get the get the drift just a pinch of compost that goes into the potting soil I think that helps retain a little bit of moisture um, or it makes me feel better knowing I've got a little compost in there maybe I, I can go through my compost that way so that goes that goes in just and I mix that through the potting soil and then I'll hit that with a slow release or controlled release fertilizer one of those ones that's labeled four to six months um, I find that a lot easier to do with container gardens because it they're a little harder to side dress throughout the the season that way sometimes I'll even put like a little bit of gravel or a little bit of mulch on top of my container gardens and that'll stop the squirrels kind of getting you know making a mess in my containers so that that process makes and it's a little bit more decorative too when I'm sitting out sitting out on the patio but that that makes it a little bit harder for side dressing so what I'll do is the slow release goes in that pretty much covers me for the growing season and then I'll come back you know after July you know if I've done any pinching or anything like that on, on petunias and plants like that I'll come back through and fertilize with one of those foliar fertilizers um, you know fish emulsion that would be a great one that one's a little bit on the nose it's a little bit stinky but um, or one of those ones that you buy off the shelf um, green loon is a good brand there's miracle grow there's all sorts of them and that that stuff turns your water blue so you know you've got fertilizer in there and I just give that a splash around the soil and also the leaves as well so that's what I do for containers I do and you can mix your fertilizer in your your veggie garden in the spring don't worry if you haven't done it this past fall you can do it in the in the spring in the early spring as well make sure all the frost has come out of the ground uh, put a pitchfork in there that way you know you'll be able to turn all that compost and manure and fertilizer into into your soil so that's what i do for fertilizing i hope that helps if i've left something out or i didn't answer or i didn't wasn't complete enough or i wasn't scientific enough for you go ahead and leave me a note on instagram dale k garden guy and we can we can talk and chew things over right there and most importantly we'll get it back out to our big backyard community i think we've got time uh really quick for one question and this comes from emma b from wisconsin she wrote in this week and said uh dale what a, what plants uh, are great for kids to grow and i think a couple of podcasts ago i got quite excited quite passionate about kids gardening but here's a little bit of a recap for you um, on the flower side of things uh, my number one go-to is sunflowers because they're they're you can germinate them almost or germinate on concrete for the most part almost uh, so they're, they're bulletproof as far as germination goes um, they grow quick they grow tall they got big flower heads on them and then of course at the end of the season they they kind of follow the sun hence the name sunflower they kind of give a little nod over great for bird feeding as well so they kind of they're very inner it's a very interactive plant uh sunflowers are sweet peas is another good one marigolds great plants particularly if you want to start introducing 
uh, the theory or the the notion or the practice of companion planting. Marigolds um, deter a lot of bugs. Um, so marigolds around your veggie garden is a great, great plant. Um, they are my top flowers for for kids. And, you know, of course, this all varies, you know, age of your children too, whether they're, they're young or they're um, early teens or late teens and so forth. Um, but my favorite go-to veggies, um, a little bit like sunflowers because they're easy to germinate, they grow quick, instant satisfaction. Beans, pea, uh, beans peas, I should say, and corn are great. Lettuce is another good one uh, that's really um, easy to grow. I like wheatgrass. Of course, we're approaching Easter, so if you want to get a little bit of green grass or somewhere for the Easter bunny to lay some eggs, wheatgrass is absolutely fantastic and quick and looks just like lawn. Carrots is another good one. Pumpkins, of course. You know the drill here uh, in the United States. Kids love carving pumpkins for Halloween. That's a great one. And then also the, the ultimate game of hide-and-seek is growing potatoes and what kids don't love, little mashed potatoes or some homemade um, french fries. And then rounding out my top list for kids to grow is strawberries and cherry tomatoes. Um, and you can do those in hanging baskets or in containers. You don't even need a garden. So I was going to get to um, one of my other favorite topics for this time of year in March, which is growing um, spring bulbs. So I think we'll save that for next week. I don't want to keep up too much of more of your time. But again, I really appreciate you uh, joining me this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed the fertilizer discussion. I'm sure I left something out. So don't forget, drop me a note, drop me a line on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy. That'll do it for this week. I'm Dale K. Hope you have a great week. And don't worry, if you're in the upper Midwest, spring is coming. We'll see you next week. Dale K's Big Backyard is a production of Big Backyard Media. It's co-produced by me, Dale K, and Chip Elmquist. I'd love to hear from you and answer all your questions. You can reach me at mybigbackyardwithdalek at gmail.com. And I'll try to answer all your questions right here each week. Also, follow me, Dale K Garden Guy, on Instagram. Thanks for joining me here on Dale K's Big Backyard. And we will see you right here next week. <music>